Tonight, I'm going to do something that's going to have people wondering if I actually like Christmas or not. I do. Ask my wife. I'm buying new decorations every year. I love Christmas. But there's something in the crucifixion that to me, when I was reading the book of Matthew and reading the birth and the announcements and the joys and the presentations, then I jumped to the end and I read the crucifixion. There was something in there that paralleled, horribly paralleled, the joy. And I'm going to try and tie it all together, so hang with me, and let's see how this goes, okay? So we're going to start in Matthew 2.13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. So the wise men had just left after finding the, the Christ child, toddler. The wise men had just left. They didn't go back to Herod, and Herod has asked them, because Herod wants to kill the child. But God told the, children, go, told the wise men, don't go back, go a different route, and they did. Joseph had a dream, and the angel of the Lord appeared in the dream, saying, Go, flee into Egypt, be there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Herod will seek. So Joseph arose by night, took the child and his mother to Egypt. I'm telling you, when you read the book of Matthew, Joseph's faith just shines right through more and more every time you read it. It really does. So, here's a fun fact, because you always hear of the Israelites going to Egypt, uh, Jacob and Abraham, everybody always went to Egypt. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that Egypt is part of Africa? Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Okay. I have been to Egypt, therefore I have been to Africa. Mm -hmm. Yet, if you look at a map, Israel, which is part of Asia, is bordered by Egypt. Israel is part of Asia. Mm -hmm. They border each other. Mm -hmm. Literally, they, they, they are, I mean, their, their land is touching. This isn't like continents apart. Cairo, Egypt, and Jerusalem are apart the cities, the main cities, Cairo, Egypt, Jerusalem, Israel, nine hours by car, 478 miles. That's all that separates them. The Red Sea runs off the Arabian Sea, which is part of the Indian Ocean. Egypt is then off of the Atlantic Ocean. That part of the world, compared to the part that I live in, the United States, that part of the world is very condensed. For instance, Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey. Not very big at all, but it is a world-recognized country. The state of New Jersey is just a state in the country of the United States. 
compared to the U.S., Israel, Egypt, all of them are small and together. But they have shattered the world. So uh, Joseph gets word to go to Egypt, which is only 470 miles away. Now, bear in mind that at that time, it was probably 10 to 12 miles a day he would travel. So it took him a month to get there to, and then a month to get back. It's not like today where hop in a car, be there by 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So Joseph takes the young child and his mother and goes to Egypt and there and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Another prophecy fulfilled. Joseph and Mary and family stayed in Egypt at the behest of God the Father for a while, knowing that Herod was going to go completely off his rocker. Then Herod when he saw that he was mocked at the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and younger, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. This is why he diligently asked of the wise men, where was the Christ child, Christ child born? When was a Christ child born? Herod was worried about his position and his power, and he killed anybody who was a threat to his throne. You say, oh my, that's so, so unthinkable. Well, Herod even killed some of his own children because they were a threat to his throne. Yes, he did. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, finally, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. When Herod was dead, I find some comfort in that, oddly, a man who massacred innocent innocent children. Mm -hmm. Yet how he died was not a pleasant way to go. I looked it up. He died of chronic kidney disease, or what they describe as chronic kidney disease. Yet, this was the kicker, mm -hmm. he had gangrene in his mm -hmm. private parts. Yeah. Known as Fournier's gangrene in his privy parts. He was scratching himself to death, and oh, the, oh, the agony. Not a good way to go, but befitting for a man like Herod. Matthew 2.20, God's talking to Joseph, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So he was going to go back home, to his home where he knew. God said, no, don't. And Joseph said, good, I didn't want to, because Herod, Herod's son is there ruling. So instead he goes into Galilee. 
And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Here in this part, we see three, three scriptures, or three prophecies fulfilled. So Herod has died. Joseph is told to take his family back into Israel. Yet Herod's son reigns in Judea, so he turned aside and went to Nazareth as the Messiah was to be called a Nazarene. So when later on they all say, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently they don't read the scriptures because the Bible says he's going to, become, he's going to come out of Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. So all of the pieces are coming into place. Prophecies are being fulfilled. Now in the book of Matthew, this is the last we see of Jesus as a child. In, Matt, or in Luke, we see a little bit more. But in Matthew, this is all we see of Jesus as a child. Remember, Matthew was writing for the Jewish reader. Uh, the Jewish reader uh, would understand that in, in Jewish society, you don't belong until you're a man over 30 years of, at 30 years of age and up. So once you hit 30, you are now considered a man. So we're going to skip on up to the next important event because Matthew writes nothing else of Christ from then till now. Jewish readers is what it's written for. So nothing is there. So Matthew 3.13 is where we're going to jump to. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Then John allowed Jesus to be baptized by him, John. Remember, John's the messenger. Christ is the Messiah. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting up upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now remember, John the Baptist is six months older than Christ. He's already into his ministry. He reached his 30th birthday already. He's already into his ministry. And it is a very prolific ministry for the short time he has been active. So Jesus comes from Galilee. John, baptizing people, sees Jesus, recognizes Jesus, their cousins after all, and says, I need to be baptized of you. What are you playing at? You're the Messiah. You need to be baptizing me. Christ says, no, no, no. We have to fulfill the will of the Father, and this is part of that will for me to be baptized. The Messiah had to be baptized by the forerunner. It was preordained. He must be declared and introduced. Jesus must be declared and introduced by the Father, and that's what's going on here. God himself introduces Jesus to the world. As soon as Jesus is announced, baptized, and into the ministry, then he goes right into the desert to face his trials, the temptation of the devil. Let the messianic ministry begin. So Matthew now has finished with the birth. The Messiah has come. And Matthew is ready to write of the Messiah and his ministry for the Jewish reader. Now, what I find quite interesting is that we spend a whole month 
every year on the birth of the Savior. Whole month. Yet when the resurrection comes, we spend one hour, if that. One hour. Now I know the birth is so very important for God was among us. Yet without the resurrection, the birth of Jesus would have been just another birth. Jesus would have lived just another life, just another holy man, just another prophet. The resurrection is what sets him apart. It is the resurrection of Christ that gives us hope. The resurrection that gives us life. Easter should be our Super Bowl. A month of Easter, not a month of Christmas. Don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. I love Christmas carols. I love everything about Christmas. But we are downplaying Easter, the resurrection, so much. Every Sunday morning should be a morning of rejoicing. Come Sunday morning, we're going to start on the Luke version of the birth. Mm -hmm. So I do love Christmas. I'm not trying to, to, to downplay it at all. But the death of Jesus... The burial and the resurrection should be our hour of power. It really should. So there's something in the res or in the, the, the crucifixion of Christ that I want to bring to your attention. So we're going to continue on in Matthew 27, verse 32. I want you to pay attention here because this is something that most people don't know. Believe it or not. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And then when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, Golgotha, a place of a skull, it does look like it, I pulled up some of the images. So the cross is very heavy. A grown man, healthy and unabused, had trouble carrying the wood of the cross. Yet Christ, beaten, scourged, bloody, they, had, they tried to have him carry his own cross. When he could not, somebody finally stepped in and bore his burdens for once, just as he does for us. So they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Vinegar to drink, that's wine fermented to almost acidic state. A man beaten, bloody, in the worst pain of his life, and they give him something akin to vinegar with bitters. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. They took his clothes, and they parted it amongst themselves. The beautiful coat, that he was given in his ministry. It was seamless. It was beautiful. It was pricey. They cast lots for the coats. And the Roman soldiers sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down at the foot of the cross, they watched. They took all he had. They beat him. They crucified him. 
But I want to say something here that the, the ones that mocked him earlier on, the ones that mocked him, the ones that put the thorn on his head, the ones that called him king of the Jews, those were the governor guards. Those were not Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers didn't do that. They were professionals. Yeah, they took the clothes. He didn't need them anymore. But they washed him like they were paid to do. I know it seems like a trifle, but it's very important later on. Matthew 27, 37. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. The Roman guards put up there what he was accused of. They killed him because this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now we're getting to the part that I want you to see. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The pictures we have of the cross is Jesus on a hill with the other two crosses and no one around. But everything I saw in the pictures that I looked up, there's a very busy thoroughway right there. People going in and out of the city are passing by, seeing him on that cross. And in the daylight, because there's three, he's on that cross for six hours. There's three hours of daylight for people to see him. Then the darkness comes for the next three hours. They can't make him out anymore. But for the three hours they see him, people walking by, looking at these men dying on the cross, they're shaking their heads, they're wagging their heads, they're reviling him, they're mocking him. The people walking by. And they're all saying the same thing. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Makes me believe that the Pharisees the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin that falsely accused him of this had gotten out amongst the people and spread some words. But I found this utterly fascinating. Jesus was trumpeted by angels. Wise men brought gifts. Shepherds came to see at the birth. Shepherds were there. Jesus was not alone at the birth. Wise men came with invaluable gifts. A star in the heaven, unlike any other star. All for the birth. Here in death, he is once again being attended by a lot of folks. Only this time, the awe and wonder of the birth have been changed to mocking, to derision, to sheer revilement. They wagged their heads at him as they walked by. Jesus is hanging naked on a cross for our sins, and people are walking by seeing his humiliation. 
It's not out in the middle of nowhere. He's not all alone with nobody around. It's not a secluded area outside the edge of town. It's a busy thoroughway. People are walking by as he's laying, uh, hanging there naked for all to see, suspended between heaven and earth, long suffering and dying. He who had healed, he who had loved, fed, taught, and blessed these people, they are walking by, reviling him, wagging their heads at him. I can't get my head around it. They are not calling him master, teacher, or rabbi anymore. No, now they're mocking him. The false witnesses, they've had their say. They got what they wanted. He's on the cross. Their words are being repeated here, which tells us this was the Pharisees and the scribes who were there when Jesus said thus. He said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they are accusing him of tearing down Solomon's temple. The physical temple, that's not what Jesus said, but they twisted it. The false witnesses falsely accused and said, No, he said he's going to tear down the temple, whereas Jesus said, I will tear down this temple, meaning himself. And in three days, he will build it back up. Of course, they twisted it up. John, who wrote of it, he was there when Jesus said it. He was a witness that what Jesus had said and then what the false witnesses accused him of were two different things. It was a kangaroo court. Jesus never said he would tear down the temple, but they twisted his words so they could kill him. At his death, there are guests and watchers, those who came to see the king, but not as the king, but as another rebel, as another madman put to death. So the similarity struck me as I read a huge, <clears throat> proud welcome for the king of the Jews, but then a very horrible send-off. The people turned out for both. Yet they are celebrated so very differently. We ooh and awe at the baby. And come Easter, we just move on. Passion Week, for most of us it's an hour. Sunrise service, ah, forget it. It used to be every Sunday. Every Sunday, if you remember Pliny the Younger, talked about the Christians who every Sunday morning at sunrise were having their service singing of Jesus. Every Sunday. Now, it's barely once a year. Now, please do not forget, I love Christmas. I truly do, and I celebrate it every year. I just think as a church, we spend so much time on the inoffensive baby. And we forget the cross of Christ that is an offense, of, that is an offense to all men. The cross of Christ is not a clean, joyful place like the birth was. The tomb, the resurrection, they should be joyful places, but we give the birth so much more. We who are Christians are to be spreading the good news. Not the birth, not even the cross. The work of the cross was completely necessary. 
But the resurrection is the good news we need to be sharing. For without the resurrection, we are just like everybody else. He is alive today. He is alive, and he is at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. That is our celebration. Yes, the birth, but also the death, the burial, and the resurrection. God can come and get born all day long, but if he doesn't walk out of that grave, everything else is hopeless. Mm -hmm.